0: So for tonight and next Wednesday night, we're going to talk about peace as God defines it. Peace as God defines it. And uh, what, what I want to do is uh, uh, we're, we're going to take a little trip into uh, uh, the, the primary Hebrew word and the primary Greek word that's used in Scripture, the, the Hebrew word. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew, the New Testament written in Greek. We're going to take a look at those words in just a minute so we can see the the, the real uh, origin and and the real heart behind what God meant when he used the word. But I want you to realize this, that a lot of times when we think peace, we think in very uh, limited terms. Um, You can think in uh, terms of... uh, uh, you, you know, you can see somebody doing one of these things, you know, with their eyes closed and all twisted up into a pretzel and all that, you know, and then they call that meditation. They're trying to get into a place of peace, but it's interesting. There's a very clear difference between the world's idea of meditation and God's idea of meditation. With the world's idea of meditation, they're emptying their mind of something. With God's idea of meditation, you are putting something in rather than emptying something out. Hallelujah. And uh, so uh, when when we talk about peace, we're not just talking about uh, one part of it is you being calm and at rest. In the time of trouble, I have such peace. And you know what? We're not downplaying that. We're going to touch that, and that's part of the package. But I want you to realize that the way that God defines peace is not one-dimensional. It is (laughs) multi-dimensional. Yeah. You see uh, so many of the things in Scripture that, that, that we we can look at and, and study are, are not one sided, not one dimensional. Uh, you, you can see so many different facets uh, of of what God is getting across to us and what, what God is looking to minister to us through those things and so we 're going to go ahead and look first of all, as we get started tonight at the primary Hebrew word that is used. Uh, uh, to, to mean peace in Scripture, and the primary Greek word in the New Testament that is used to mean peace. First of all, let's look at the Hebrew word, the Hebrew word shalom. There it is. Safety, welfare, health, prosperity, peace. Woo! That's a pretty good package. It signifies... Now, this is some commentary on the the definition and the heart of what it means. It signifies a sense of well-being and harmony both within and without. Now, you can camp right there for a minute to know that when God gives something to you, God doesn't just give you something to take care of your within, which means he just doesn't take care of the spirit. We know that's his top priority His numero uno, but that's not everything. He takes care of your within and your without. The general meaning behind the root is one of completion and fulfillment and thus of entering into a state of wholeness and unity. Now have some fun with me. Let's read this together. Safety, welfare, health prosperity peace it signifies a sense of well-being and harmony both within and without the general meaning behind the root is of completion and fulfillment and thus of entering into a state of wholeness and unity glory to God so you see You've got peace in here, but peace is not peace if there's a piece missing. Hey, somebody's gonna remember that. Peace is not real peace if there's a piece of it missing. So there's the aspect of God's real peace that has the whole package going on the whole package of safety, welfare, health, prosperity, and peace. The, the, the whole package of the within and the without. Now we're going to look at the Greek word that is used in the New Testament for peace. And you can put that slide up. This word is Irene, And read this with me. Peace, prosperity, quietness, and rest being set at one again. One more time. Peace, prosperity, quietness, and rest being set at one again. So you can see some commonalities between these two words, even though they're two different languages. One interesting thing to note is that when the New Testament is quoting the Old Testament, and is quoting that word shalom from the old testament it uses this word to translate it which happens at least 3 times 3 times that i could find at least 3 times where the word shalom was being quoted in in uh, the new testament and it used the word irene to translate it all right so now Keep these things in your mind. As a matter of fact, if you did it already and you got your smartphone, you might take a picture of it so, so you can reference it later. Come on now. But how important is this peace? As far as God sees things, as far as God's perspective, how important is this thing called peace? Well, first of all, you need to recognize this. That God himself is your peace. God himself is your peace. Let's look at Judges chapter 6 and verse 24. Uh, right in the beginning of that verse, it, it, Judges six twenty-four says, So Gideon built an altar there uh, to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. Otherwise known as Jehovah Shalom. So Gideon built an altar and called it, The Lord is Peace. Jehovah Shalom. Now think about this. That this has got to be important for God to place one of his redemptive names on it. You know there's several of the, the names by which God identifies himself in the Old Testament that is just pretty amazing. You got Jehovah Rapha, which means the Lord our healer. You've got Jehovah uh, Sidkenu, which means the Lord our righteousness, and, and, and multiple others. You you've got uh, Jehovah uh, Jireh, uh more correctly pronounced Yire, but. But I think Jireh went better with the old song they used to sing. So, uh, but 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 Jehovah Jireh or Jehovah Yireh, meaning the Lord or Provider, literally the one who sees ahead, knows what you're going to need when you get there, and then goes ahead of you in time to make sure that what you need is there before you get there. Amen. That's not my sermon for tonight, but that just hit somebody. Hey, 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 hey. but this one here. The Lord is peace. The Lord, our peace. You can say the Lord, my peace. Jehovah. Shalom. In the New Testament, Ephesians 2, making reference to Jesus, it says, For he himself, this is Ephesians 2.14, For he himself is our peace. Woo! Who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Recognizing that that's part of what Jesus did. He didn't just bridge the gap that existed between God and fallen man. But, but he actually put together one new man in Christ. Uh, the, the Jews and the Gentiles. Israel and the nations. Now rather than being separated are connected together as one new man known as the body of Christ. Hallelujah. He himself is our peace. The Lord is peace. The Lord is our peace. Jehovah Shalom. We see that in the Old Testament. Here in the New Testament, we see Jesus being identified as our peace. We realize this. He's a God of peace. Romans 15, says, now the God of peace be with you all. Over in Romans 16, I love this. And the God of peace will crush, love that word, crush. You won't do this when you say it, crush. <laughs> Satan under your feet shortly, hallelujah. Glory to God. You know, think about this, that... that This is the way God describes himself, and not just in these two verses here, but in multiple other verses that he describes himself as a God of peace. Well, since we're here in the New Testament, if we're going to make reference to our original definition of what this word Irene means... When when, uh, you hear the term God of peace, you're hearing this, a God of peace, a God of prosperity, a God of quietness and rest, a God of being set at one again. Now, he himself didn't need to be said at one again because he's never broken. He's never been broken. But glory to God, the very same thing that keeps him one and keeps him together is the very same thing he's willing to share with us to mend and to heal what's broken about us. He's the God of peace, and he's sharing his peace. He's giving his peace to us. Hallelujah. So think of this. uh, One of the most significant things that we can see about peace is that God himself is our peace. And also we can realize this, that even the way God thinks, (laughs) even the way God thinks is in terms of peace. How do you know that? It's a verse you may have heard before, and if not, you're going to hear it now. It's Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of shalom, and not of evil. To give you a future and a hope. So God is peace. His very name describes him. Jehovah Shalom the Lord is peace. But his very thoughts. His very thinking pattern. If you could get into the mind of God. What would you see if you got into his mind. You would see that even his thought pattern. Is one of Shalom towards us. Now. In the same way as we see the connection between peace and the way God thinks, I want to show you something real quick. This is a little side thought, but it's a good one. Is that when we think right, we'll have peace too. Mm-hmm. You you remember uh Some of you will, some of you won't. And like I said, the ones who don't remember this, you're going to get a good education here tonight. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3 says, For you will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. How many of you have come across that verse before? what, what? Uh, isn't that an amazing thing, the, the fact that when we keep our mind stayed on him, when we keep our mind in the right place, that has a positive impact on our peace. As a matter of fact, the, if you read that in Hebrew, uh, where it says you will keep him in perfect peace, when you see perfect peace, you, you, if you read it in Hebrew, you would literally see the word shalom twice. Literally, it says you will keep him in shalom, shalom, which means you are so peaceful that even your shalom has shalom. Come on, somebody. Yeah. Talk about peace. That's what I'm talking about. But how do you get that? Because our minds have stayed on him. That's the condition that we can have when our minds have stayed on him. The New Testament teaches the same thing. Romans 8, 6 says, To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. You see it? So here's the thing. In the very same way that peace describes the way God thinks, when we're thinking right, we're going to have peace too. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's go ahead and move on. So, so we see that the Lord himself is our peace. But we also see this, that God's covenant is a covenant of peace. God's covenant is a covenant of peace. How serious is he about this peace business? He's serious enough that he made a covenant. And, and, and uh, the, the covenant being the, 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 the most strongest, most binding agreement that could ever exist. And and, and the fact that what we understand about God's ways in handling covenants, the book of Psalms reveals that his covenant, he will not break. Neither will he alter the thing that goes forth out of his lips. So we understand how seriously God takes covenants. He does not break them. He keeps them. Well then, this very same covenant-keeping God has made a covenant of shalom with us. Woo! We see that in Numbers 25, 12. He said, Behold, I give to him my covenant of peace. In Ezekiel thirty-seven, twenty-six. once that boneyard got to kicking, hallelujah. You remember those bones in Ezekiel 37. The Scripture says, I'll make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. But I want you to check this one out. This is Isaiah 54 and verse 10. For the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from you, nor shall my covenant of shalom be removed, says the Lord who has mercy on you. Hallelujah. So if we've got a, a covenant-keeping God, a God who will not absolutely will not break covenant. As a matter of fact, I love in Hebrews where it says that when he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. Hey, I mean, God used himself as collateral. <laughs> He didn't have have anything uh, that that he could put on on the table that was more, more costly and more valuable than he himself. You know he's serious about these covenants. So when we think of God having a covenant of shalom with us, we go back to what shalom means as God defines it. So if he's got a covenant of shalom with you, that means he's got a covenant of safety with you, a covenant of welfare with you. Glory to God, that don't mean being on welfare. That means faring well. Hallelujah. A covenant of health with you. And I'll tell you what, if you're on welfare, understanding this can get you off of man's welfare system and onto God's welfare system. Hallelujah. So you got a covenant of safety, a covenant of welfare, a covenant of health, a covenant of prosperity, a covenant of peace, a covenant that takes care of you within and without. You see, that's what happens when when we start looking at peace as God defines it. So when we read that God's made a covenant of peace with us, wasn't that nice and peaceful? Ah, so peaceful. But we understand the whole concept and the whole truth behind what this is. That it's not just you being at rest and peace. Even though that is included and we thank God for it. But when we realize the whole package of the package deal that we've got here, that really shines some light on what we've got. Glory to God. How serious does God take peace? Let me tell you how serious. Serious enough where Jesus paid the price with his own blood and his own life for our peace. Jesus paid the price with his own blood and his own life for our peace. Wow. Romans 5, there's two verses there that I want to take a look at. Verse 1 and verse 9. Verse 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. What, what are we talking about here? We're talking about the fact that, that, that you and God are now one. You, you and God are now connected. You and God are now reunited. Where there was separation between us and God, there is no longer separation because Jesus, the God man, has bridged the gap between God and fallen man. So now we have peace with God. Now you on God's good side. If you have been justified by faith. Someone say, I'm on God's good side. <laughs> hey. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That takes all the struggle out of it right there. That takes all the struggle and all the 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 trying and and, and the, the intense fleshly effort that we can sometimes get ourselves worked up into it takes it all off the table and glory to god being justified by faith we have peace we have it now we we do we have it now we're not talking about something we're gonna have some sweet day we're talking about something that we have now in christ jesus hallelujah so here it's talking about having been justified by faith go to verse nine same chapter five nine Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. So verse 1 talks about being justified by faith. Verse 9 talks about being justified by his blood. Well, you put the two together, you realize this. You're justified by faith in his blood. You connect the dots there? Yeah. You're justified by faith in his blood. And what's the result of that? Well, as verse 1 said, you are at peace with God. And as verse 9 says, you are saved from wrath through him. Rather than getting the wrath of God, glory to God, you get the, the smile and the blessing and approval of God. The same approval that Jesus has received. Because you're not out there on your own. You are in him. That's how important it is to be in him. Because if you're out of him, then it's going to rain on your head if you're not in him. It's raining out there. As a matter of fact, it might be hail and sleet too. I mean, it's coming down. But if you're in him, You see, because that wrath that we're saved from, we're saved from it because we're in him and he already had it poured out on him. Glory to God forever. And because of that, what do we have? We have peace with God. How do we have it? Because we've been justified by faith in his blood. Jesus paid the price for our peace. Colossians 1. This is in the New Living Translation. We'll read 19 and 20. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. Verse 20. And through him, through Christ, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace. With everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Is there anybody glad about it? He made peace, He made irene. It was set at one again. How did it get that way? By means of Christ's blood on the cross. And how effective was it? He did it with everything in heaven and on earth. He just dealt with the whole package of whatever got messed up, whatever got broken, whatever got fragmented, and, and whatever was, was in pieces and in shambles. He just dealt with it all in one work and by his blood took what was in shambles and what was disconnected and put it back together again. And you might say, well, Pastor Ray, what about my shambles? Yeah, yours too. But, but my shambles are still in shambles. Well, that's why you, 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 need, you need to go and talk to the one who already took care of the shambles for you and already made peace for you. You see, you're, you're looking at this situation as though uh, it's not been dealt with. You're, you're, you're looking at this situation as though you're trying to get something. You know, I, I love this, uh, uh, book title. Uh, Andrew Womack's got a book. He said, Why are you trying to get it when you already got it? It shows a Dalmatian ch- chasing his tail. There, there's a whole lot of believers in that category. You're, you're a dog chasing your tail. You're trying to get something you already got. You say, well, I got my life in shambles and I want to, I want God to do something with my shambles and put them all together again. But I tell you what, when I started looking in the word, I say, Whoa, Jesus already took care of the shambles. He already took care of that which was dissected and, and, and separated and torn apart. And he's put it at one again. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Now, if you didn't get that. Go to Isaiah 53. But he, Jesus, was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Looking at the same thing in the Amplified Or we should call it the Amplified Classic because now there's two of them. But let's take a look at that in the Amplified. Isaiah 53, 5. And if I didn't give it to you, I'll just read it to you. I'll go ahead and read it to you. Listen to this. The chastisement needful to obtain peace and well-being for us was upon him. Can you get that? The chastisement that was needful to obtain peace, shalom, and well-being for us was upon him. Can you see very clearly here that Jesus paid the price for your peace? Hallelujah. Now, what is that chastisement? That chastisement is actually a reference to the The scourging, the the beating that Jesus received. If you look in Luke chapter 23, you see Pilate several times saying to the leaders, he said, I find no fault with this man. Let me uh, chastise him and release him. The chastising making reference to a scourging, a whipping. But of course, you know, the religious leaders didn't go for that. They didn't want him simply chastised. They wanted him dead. But in in the process of him dying, he was chastised as well. We know he was chastised because we know that chastisement put stripes on him. Somebody know anything about those stripes? And Isaiah, looking forward to what was going to happen, said, by whose stripes you are healed. And Peter, looking back to something that was already done, changed a little word and said, by whose stripes you were healed. Hallelujah. Somebody's going to get that. Let's move on to, to our next thought here. This is important to get. That the gospel is called the gospel of peace. What are you smiling at, man? Come on. (laughs) You're the most fun person around here to preach to, Pastor Mike. I'm going to mess with you tonight, man. Oh, yeah. He's just smiling because he knows how much fun I'm having right now. The gospel is called the gospel of peace. Romans chapter 10. Check it out. And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, Isaiah said this, and uh, this is uh, him quoting Isaiah. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Somebody say the gospel of peace. Now what's the word gospel mean? Does anybody know? The word gospel means good news. So this gospel of peace means the good news of peace. Hallelujah. So this gospel is called the gospel of peace. We see the same thing over in Ephesians 6 when the armor of God is being described. And what you're putting on your feet, it says, Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel... Of peace. There is a definitive connection between the gospel and your peace. Between the word of the living God and our peace. Let me, let, let me demonstrate that to you. Jesus actually said in uh, John sixteen thirty three, He said, these things I've spoken to you. That in me you would have peace. So the effect that his spoken words had on them. What what he intended the words that he was speaking to do is cause the hearers of those words to have peace. So you see the connection between the word and peace. Proverbs three one through two uh, connects that very well. That's where the writer said, "My son, don't forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands for length of days and long life and peace." They will add to you. Who's they? They is my law and my commands. So God's law and his commands. Otherwise, his word will add to you length of days, long life, and shalom. You think there's a connection? Let's go a little further. Psalm 119, verse 165. Take some time to memorize that sometime. Psalm 119, 165 says, Great peace, great shalom have they who love your law. Once again, the connection between the word and peace. Isaiah wrote in 48, verse 18 of his book, Isaiah 48, verse 18. You hear the cry of God. Saying this, oh, that you would have heeded my commandments. Because then your peace would have been like a river. So once again, the connection between the word and peace. Why is there such a connection? Because it's a gospel of peace. This gospel is a gospel of peace. And what are you supposed to do with the gospel? You're supposed to preach the gospel. You're supposed to spread the gospel. I heard someone say spread. That's a good word. You're supposed to proclaim the gospel. So let's go ahead and look at what the Bible says, the scriptural theme of preaching peace, speaking peace, or declaring peace. Are you ready? So we know it's a gospel of peace. So what are you supposed to do with the gospel? You're supposed to speak it, preach it, declare it, spread it. Get it out there. Psalm 85 verse 8. I will hear what the Lord, what God the Lord will speak. For he will speak peace to his people and to his saints. What's he speaking? He's speaking peace. Hallelujah. To his people and to his saints. Over in the book of Zechariah in chapter 9 where where there's the prophecy of Jesus coming on the colt into the city of Jerusalem. It uh, uh, clearly demonstrates, it, 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 it calls it centuries before it happened. That's what you love about prophetic scripture. I mean, the Holy Ghost nails it. I mean, with such pinpoint accuracy. Uh, And so, here's the description of Jesus making his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And in the context of that passage, it also makes reference to him speaking peace to the nations. Speaking peace to the nations. Now, let's take this a little bit further. Let's look at especially the idea of uh, this preaching peace. Ephesians. Chapter 2, verse 17. It says that he, Jesus, came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. Both to the Jews and to the Gentiles. Both to Israel and the nations of the earth. He came and preached peace. That same thought is continued elsewhere. Why are we talking about this? Because we're going somewhere. We're going to see what this gospel of peace is. Acts 10. Oh, I love this. Woo wee Good place to take a drink. The word which God sent to the children of Israel. Preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. Verse 37. That word, that preaching of peace, that peace message, you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. So we see this before we go to the next verse. We see that this preaching peace was the word that was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee. And when did it start? It started after the baptism, which John preached. So you see, John the Baptist, he was the first one on the scene. He was the one who uh, uh, came to prepare the way of the Lord. And then, of course, Jesus the Lord had come. John the Baptist recognized him, identified him as who he was, the Lamb of God, who would take away the sins of the world. And then when Jesus comes on the scene, what happens? Verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil For God was with him. Now follow me through this. Go back to 36 for a minute. So we see it's talking about the word that God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. So what did Jesus preach? What did Jesus preach? All right, next verse. That word you know. Because it was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. So, verse 38 is going to tell you what this word was. Verse 38, that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit with power. I want you to know that the preaching of peace that Jesus did was when he showed up and let people know, Hi, I'm anointed. Stay with me for a minute. The preaching of peace that Jesus proclaimed, that word which was heard all throughout the land was this. I'm anointed with the Holy Spirit and power. And what can that anointing do? Well, it'll do good for you and it'll heal all that are oppressed by the devil. Now... We're going to go ahead and leave here and go to Luke 4 and look at one of the very first sermons Jesus preached. When he was in his hometown and they gave him a scroll of the prophet Isaiah and he found the place where it was written, the spirit of. Of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to uh, preach the acceptable year of the Lord. That's verse 19. But you can keep it right up here. Go back to 18. 18. I want you to know that this is the gospel of peace. If you want to put it in a nutshell, this is the gospel of peace that Jesus went and proclaimed. He went and proclaimed that he was anointed by the Spirit of God. Well, anointed to do what? Anointed to preach the gospel to the poor. Isn't it interesting? As you look at both the word shalom and both the word Irene, both the Hebrew and the Greek word, one of the common factors in both is that it means prosperity. Now, to preach the gospel to the poor is to preach good news to the poor. I do believe that good news to the poor person would be prosperity. Whether you're poor financially or poor in any other way, good news for somebody who's poor would be prosperity. This is the gospel of peace. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. So some brokenhearted. That's the person, their hearts in multiple pieces. And what does peace do? Peace sets it at one again. Oh, hallelujah. You see, this is the gospel of peace. That's what he did. He took that which was broken, that which was in shambles, that which was in multiple pieces. But it was intended by God originally to be one. But the fall and the curse, and, and the tricks of the enemy, and bad decisions caused that which was once whole to be broken. So what did he do? He said he sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to put it at one again. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. He, he set at liberty, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Interesting word. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. Sounds just the same way they describe the preaching of peace in Acts chapter 10, when it says that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil that's the gospel of peace that Jesus is anointed and because Jesus is anointed all these conditions here we don't have to be in those conditions anymore you don't have to have anything broken because he came to set it back at one again you don't have to be messed up within and without because he came to make you whole within and without. Right. He came to take care of the whole person. He came to to uh, to partake, to, to cause us to be partakers of his divine nature. And by so doing, glory to God, we've become, uh, uh, as uh, the scripture describes, uh, recipients of all things that pertain to life and godliness. Life and godliness. That's the within and the without. That's the the spirit. That's the the, the mind or the soul. That's the body. That's this thing too. Every possible way that you need some wholeness, every possible way you need some, uh, uh, some putting back together at one again, any way you need it, God will certainly give it to you. As we get ready to close tonight. I want you to realize this. That the God of peace. Prioritizes your wholeness. The God of peace. Prioritizes your wholeness. Now wholeness is a big part of this gospel of peace thing. Because both the the, the Hebrew word. Shalom. Shalom. We'll go back to our original definition. We're we're, we're talking about this the way God defines it. Isn't that right? So we see shalom, uh, the the safety, welfare, health, prosperity, peace. And and we see it as the the, the general meaning behind that root word is one of completion and fulfillment. And thus of entering into a state of wholeness and unity. So there's wholeness. And then the Greek word... And used in, the, in the New Testament on Reina, you see peace, prosperity, quietness, and rest, and being said at one again. Being said at one again is that being made whole. Not being broken, not being two, not being three, not being shambles, but being put back together again. Being made whole. And that the God of peace prioritizes your wholeness. If you don't believe it, take a look. First Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse 23, now may the God of peace himself, now I got to tell you, I had me a fit today when I realized God didn't send nobody else on the job to do this. God didn't say, Michael or Gabriel, I need you to do something for me. God didn't say, hey, Moses or Elijah, we need another transfiguration moment going on here. I need y'all to show up somewhere. No, 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 no. The God of peace himself. He ain't going to let nobody else have this much fun. He's going to do it himself. The God of peace himself sanctify you. How? Completely. So this is the God of peace at work. He's doing this himself. And the way he does it, the way he sanctifies us is completely. He's not doing something that's just kind of partway or halfway or a little bit here or a little bit there. No, no, no. He's doing it right in line with the way he defines peace. It's complete. And what's he doing it for? He's doing it for our whole spirit, soul, and body, so that our whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see that? Do you see that the God of peace, he's not giving this job to anybody else. He's doing this himself. He's doing it completely, and he's doing it for the purpose of our wholeness. And if that weren't enough, mm-mm. Second 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 16. Now, may the Lord of peace, once again, himself. Now, here's the thing. When when I saw it once, that that was one thing. When I saw it twice, Lord, have mercy. It brought the wild Pentecostal crazy man out in me. Hey! Hey! Now, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. Now think about this, the Lord of peace himself, give you peace always in every way. The old King James Bible says always and by all means, or as my sweetheart likes to say, always and in always, that's a, just a little thing we got going on here. See, we got a thing going on. All right, praise God. Hallelujah. So, so God gives us peace always and in every way. Always means all the time. Always means Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Always means in the morning, in the afternoon, and, and uh, at night, and at the midnight hour. And if you are awakened in your bed at three a.m., that's part of the always. So we know what always is. And then in every way. Now here's the thing. When we understand the way that God defines peace, we understand why he would have to say in every way because peace comes more than one way. Depends on where you need it. Depends on what you need set at one again. It D- depends what, what's broken that you need to be made whole. So if God's going to give it to you in every way, that means God's going to give it to you. If you need to be safe, God's going to go ahead and give you safety. If you, if, if you need to fare well in the situation, uh, God will make sure that you have his welfare. If, if you need health. He's got health. If you need prosperity, He'll give you prosperity. If you need peace in your mind, He'll give you peace in your mind. If you need peace in your marriage, He'll give you peace in your marriage. If you need peace in your house, He'll give you peace in your house. Whatever way He needs to give it to you, He'll give it to you all the time and He'll give it to you in every conceivable way that you could possibly get it. Woo. So if we act like this is the real truth, then we're gonna walk around and declare boldly that God is giving us safety, welfare, health, prosperity, peace, quietness, and rest, and being said at one again. And He gives it to me all the time. Always. And he gives it to me in every possible way I need it. Whether I need it for my spirit, my soul, my body, my wallet, my wife, my children. Whatever way I need that, he'll get it to me in any possible way that I need it. Now you think of that in terms of what Jesus said. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me. And I declare to you, here in this place tonight, the gospel of peace, that Jesus has come, anointed with the Holy Spirit and power, anointed to provide for you all of the blessings and benefits that are part of the covenant of peace. (laughs) And you and I, As members of the body of Christ, and as those that are called to continue the same ministry that he started. See, he started this, but the book of Acts describes it as what Jesus began both to do and teach. Not not the end all be all that Jesus came and that was it. Acts 1.1 says that the, the former book that was written, Luke is talking about his gospel because Luke wrote Luke and Luke wrote Acts. So he's talking about the gospel he wrote. And he said that there was about the beginning of what Jesus began to do and teach. Which means if that's the beginning, what's the book of Acts? That's the continuation of what Jesus is doing and teaching through his body. But it's not a different work. It's the same work. Jesus said, those that believe on me, uh, 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 it, 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 that that the works I do, you will do also. And greater works than these because I go to the Father. So I want you to realize this, that we're not looking at something that is different from what Jesus did. We're looking at a continuation of the same thing Jesus did. Preaching the same gospel of peace and seeing the same gospel of peace results. Can you say, praise the Lord. Hallelujah.